0: Good morning and welcome to Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Today we're going to be continuing on with our study in Mark. We will be doing Mark 1c, which is uh, verses uh, 20 through 45 in chapter 1. Uh, So with that, let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for another day. Father, thank you for another opportunity to share your word. Father, I pray that as we go through these uh, verses, Lord, as we go through this scripture, Father, that you would lay on our hearts all the truths, All the, uh, just the awesome things that you've done, Father, for us and through us, Lord, that you've come to this earth and that you've proved, Lord, that you are who you say you are. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we just lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're set to begin on a very fast-paced and in-depth look at what Jesus' ministry looked like. Now, his ministry, as well as any genuine ministry today, is not slack. It's very fast-moving, people have needs, and the minister is called to meet them. Now, I think the general feeling that folks have when it comes to a pastoral or teaching ministry is that time is spent generally over study and preaching. But there's so much more that goes into it. A minister is a servant, one that serves God by serving God's people. It takes a special kind of call to be able to be both equipped and willing to carry out the work in front of you. Now, it takes an other-centered mentality. It takes dedication and prayer. It takes sacrifice and understanding. There are too many people, I think, today that are not willing to give a message, uh, that are only willing to give a message, I'm sorry, and then go back into the shadows until the next message is available. You know, there's a lack of the Jesus model of engagement with those that the person has been called to lead and teach. The shepherd of a flock did not just stand on a cliff and watch his flocks out in the pastures. The shepherd was among them tending to needs, and leading them to, uh, into greener pastures, to water, uh, to better feed, to safety. You know, this is the model of Jesus' ministry. He didn't just teach and hide. He withdrew, yes, but he never turned away anybody that came to him for help. He never denied a person an opportunity for understanding. He was there to serve, and serve he did. Now, in the time period that we're going to cover, we'll be looking at a period of two days for the most part of Jesus' life. Now, it was a rapid series of events, but they are are so clear as to how God-centered ministry is supposed to look. So, uh, starting off, verse 21 says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. You know, Jesus teaches with authority and he casts out demons. Jesus, as we know, centered his ministry in Capernaum. Now this was considered to be his home base. It was about uh, 79 miles from Jerusalem and the temple. So in the city there was a synagogue. Now in that day, traveling was done mostly on foot and a journey of 79 to 80 miles would take a considerable amount of time. Now, synagogues were part of any town that had a group of 10 Jewish families that were in regular attendance. You know, that was the requirement. The synagogue was used for worship on Saturdays, which was the Sabbath, and during the rest of the week was used as a school for boys because girls weren't allowed uh, in that day to go to school. There usually was not a permanent rabbi in any place, in any city, So every Saturday, Jewish men would gather and listen listen to the traveling rabbis that would come through to teach. Now, one thing about teaching that I've I've learned is that God speaks to different men in different ways. You know, he always gives the same message and meaning of scriptures, but oftentimes he gives it to us in different levels and in different ways so that we can explain it, coming to the same truth, but using different examples, different outlines, different uh, guidelines for it. You know, if you listen intently to the studies that I put out, I'll often quote from commentaries or, or different books or, or different things that I've read that are coming through because it helps me to explain to you and really it helps God explain to me how uh, different things are working, the different pr- principles and precepts and prescriptions that are in the Word, right? So um, in ancient times, it was no different. The traveling rabbis of the day would often quote other rabbis in teaching and give their words more authority. Now we enter the scene on a Saturday morning, as Jesus enters into the synagogue and begins to teach. The synagogue in Capernaum has been discovered by archaeologists and was constructed of basalt rocks. Others were more ornate. Now, this would just do just fine for Jesus, though. Now as the congregate sat on mats on the floor, Jesus began to teach, and as he spoke, the people in attendance were astonished. Jesus didn't use quotes. He didn't water down the message. He simply and with authority taught from the scriptures. In ver- it says in verse 22 that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, it's important for us to understand the scribes. They were professional interpreters of the law. They especially emphasized the tradition uh, uh, of Judaism. Many of the scribes were Pharisees. They had a respect of the law and obedience to God. But when you take a group that is heavily reliant on the law and tradition, you often lack grace, mercy, and love. So when Jesus taught, when he opened up the word, not as one be, uh, doing his best to clarify the meaning of the word, but as the author of the word, people were astonished. Now you can always get more from a person that made this statement than you could ever, you ever could from a thousand people trying to clear up, up, up what a person said. You know, Jesus spoke with authority because he had all authority he spoke the truth because he is the truth and that doctrine was something new that people had not heard before verse 23 says now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying let us alone what have we to do with you jesus of nazareth did you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god now Imagine being in attendance and suddenly a demon cries out in the middle of a religious service in a synagogue. Now it goes to show us that not all the folks that we attend church with are saved and that the enemy can attack at any time and any place. But demons were often called unclean spirits and were associated with magic and magicians. It was very common in magicians' texts to use a person's name and identity uh and to identify them as a means of subduing them. Here, of course, it does not work. Jesus is, is not and cannot be put under the control or, or authority of demean- demonic powers. Now, ancient people had an understanding that demons had access to supernatural powers and knowledge, and they were, uh, And here they identified Jesus as the Holy One of God. Now, although the people in attendance in the synagogue were not fully aware, who, uh, aware of who Jesus was, The demon that possessed this man did indeed recognize him. Instead of using uh, just the name Holy One, which was normally a title for God, it used Holy One of God, which in Jewish literature means God's right-hand agent. So in ancient Roman culture, demon worship was rampant. Demon possession was also rampant. And for those of you who are keeping track at home, this is the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It's not the first miracle overall, but the first one that Mark is giving us. Now, this is not a sick person that Jesus is dealing with. This is a demon possessed person. Demon possessed person. It's not the person that Jesus deals with. Uh, It is a demon possessing a person that he is dealing with. Now, for a Roman citizen, a Gentile, if we consider the audience of Mark's gospel, this was a huge problem. Huge problem. And what we can see here from what Mark is telling his audience is that Jesus was a man of action in both realms. It shows us first that Jesus has power over any realm. Not just the physical, it tells us, but also also that only God can deal with the supernatural. There are not rituals or traditions that are, are useful in dealing with Satan and his minions, only calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 25 tells us, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. And come out of him and and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice he came out of him jesus gives the de- demon two commands be quiet and come out of him with two simple commands jesus exercised his authority over the spirit world now for jewish folks this was a cause for amazement for them the old test in the old testament there's only one real exorcist mentioned and that's david in first samuel so if we go back and we look at First Samuel chapter sixteen verse twenty-three, it says, "And so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play, play it with his hands. When Saul would be, become refreshed and well, and the distressed spirit w- uh, would depart from him." Now this is the only place in the Old Testament that dealt with possession, and so the information and the knowledge that the ancient people possessed was very limited and completely useless. Now in that day, there were two methods of exorcism used. The first was to try and scare the demon out of a person by taking the roots of of a foul-smelling plant and placing it under the nose of a possessed person in hopes that the demon would not be able to stand the smell and would just leave. Now the other was to use magical formulas and invoke the name of a higher spirit in order to flush out the lower one. Now I think in that case it makes it worse on the possessed person because the person trying to remove the spirit only invites more demons in, uh, into the person, and they uh, fall further into depravity. If we look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be in this wicked generation. So it's no wonder in this day and age of horoscopes and spiritual gurus that we are seeing so many people turning away from God and going more and more towards the world and demonic activities. We see people lose their minds over their wants to kill unborn children. We see criminals lifted up as martyrs. And we see the influence of Satan in movies, books, and especially in music. Now, not all possession is what we've seen in the movies. Not all possessed people have heads that spin and crawl around on the ceilings. Satan influences people in many ways. And in each of those ways, the objective goal is to separate men from God. We as God's children, as disciples of Jesus, need to bring the name of God and the truth of God to those who are lost in order that the influence they receive is godly and not satanic. The demon... As it leaves the man, convulses him, and comes out of him. Now, I've heard stories of actual exorcisms in this day and age by guys I know personally, and they confirm this is exactly how it happens. Many times they say that they will uh, vomit something green and just foul-smelling and nasty afterwards. That per- after the demon comes out. And after that, they'll sleep for a couple days because of the physical uh, demand that the demon puts on the person's body. Verse 27 says, They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now for those in attendance, this was probably the most insane thing they had ever seen. Now imagine what they had seen before when a possessed person was identified. They probably called Old Smelly Sam to bring the roots and try to get it out of him, right? But here Jesus says six words to the demon, and it's out and dealt with. Not only did Jesus teach with authority, which was something new to them, but he just showed power over a realm that they were aware of but didn't understand. You know, they were in a state of shock. What started out as a typical Sabbath teaching turned out to be uh, turned into an all out exorcism right in front of them. Luke's account in chapter 4, verse 36 says, when they, uh, Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. From that day forward, Jesus was in a category all on his own. Now, in those days, there was no television. There were not newspapers. There were no smartphones. What a person saw was was uniquely ingrained in their memories. They were very sharp and could often go see a performance or a play and recite word for word what was said during that performance or play. Now, imagine taking this experience and going back to your family and friends and explaining it to them. You know, imagine the look that they had on their face when he said, you know what? He didn't get the roots. He didn't do any magic. He didn't do anything. He just flat out said, be quiet and get out. And that was it. That was all all it took. And that demon-possessed person, that unclean spirit was gone. Now, imagine that. How crazy would that be? You know, going back and telling your family that, telling your neighbors that, telling the people around you that. If you've seen any pictures of Capernaum, it was a very small town. The synagogue was kind of a huge place, but around it, you know, you had maybe about 50 little houses that were kind of piggybacked on each other right there. And so, you know, 50 houses doesn't mean 50 people. It could mean, I don't know, whatever, 50 times 5 is 250 people, whatever. But everybody knew about it immediately, right after that happened. It says in verse 28, And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So, I mean, this stuff got out pretty quickly. You know, quickly word spread and people were drawn to to Jesus. In verse 29 it says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with the fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So again, if you take a look at a map of Capernaum, and you can really Google this and check it out. Peter's house was maybe 200 feet away from the synagogue. So, you know, imagine you get up on a Saturday morning. It's the Sabbath. There's no work. There's no nothing. You're going to synagogue. You're going to worship. You're going to hear a message. And then you're going to go home and you're going to rest until sundown. You know, um, Sabbath day ended at, at sundown and it started the day before at at, at sundown. So you go out and, and, and here's Jesus. He finishes up in the synagogue. Everybody goes home and he walks over to Simon's house and they find out, you know what, Simon's mother is sick. So he goes in and after Jesus restores our lives, uh, we are to serve him is the main point on this one. But Jesus, immediately after leaving the synagogue, is taken to Simon Peter's house, most likely to eat. You know, the language indicates that they discovered that his mother-in-law was not feeling well. In that day, when a person was married, they would remain in the house of the husband's parents until they were able to move out on their own. Now, it's possible that Peter's parents may have passed away, and he had inherited the house. You know, Andrew probably still lived there as well. It was customary for Jewish people to care for elder members in their family, And so a widowed mother-in-law was probably brought to stay with Peter and his wife. Now, as soon as they knew that she was sick, Jesus was taken to her, and immediately he took her by the hand, and the fever left her. Matthew's gospel says that Jesus touched her hand, and Luke's says that he spoke to the fever, and it left. Remember, we have more than one witness, so that leads us to have more than one angle or view of what happened. Now, the key principle is... Uh, what happened here after the fever was gone? The mother-in-law got up and served Jesus. J.R. Miller writes this, Every sick person who is restored, whether in an ordinary or an extraordinary way, should hasten to concentrate to the service of God, the life that is given back. A great many persons are always signed for opportunities to minister to Christ. Imagining some fine and splendid service which they would like to render, meanwhile, they let slip past their hands the very things in which Christ wants them to serve Him. True ministry to Christ is doing, first of all and well, one's daily duties, right? It's constantly just doing what we're called to do, what's right in front of us, taking care of it, you know, doing all things as unto the Lord. Ministry is servanthood. We honor the Lord in the little things. Whether it be our jobs, our chores, or taking care of people that we have right in front of us, our duty to serve is a ministry in itself. Verse 32 says at evening when the sun had set they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon demon possessed and the whole city was gathered together at the door. When he uh, he healed then then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. (coughs) So Jesus continues healing into the night. Okay, so our action-packed day began in the morning in the synagogue with Jesus teaching, then expelling a demon from a uh, possessed man. He leaves, he enters Simon Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law, who in turn gets up and feeds them. Now at evening, about the time most of, uh, of us are about to settle in and relax, On a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, in comes the people of Capernaum. In fact, in verse 33, it tells us that the whole city was gathered uh, outside of the door to Peter's house. It tells us here that at sundown this took place. Now, the Sabbath day, remember, ended at sundown, and so they arrived uh, late, but not as not as not to violate the law, but also at their first opportunity to get out there. Now, after seeing what they saw in the synagogue that morning, I believe that the men of the city went back home, told their wives and others there what had happened. And as soon as they heard it, the response was probably something like, well, hey, you know what? Go get cousin Jimmy out of the cage. We're taking him to see this Jesus, right? He's been biting on his arm for too long. We got to we, we gotta get this demon out of him. Or you know what? Let's go get Aunt Elsa out of the back. You know, she's been laying there sick for two months. Let's, let's take her and see what he can do with them, you know? Uh, it says that they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. Remember, in that day also, sickness was believed to be a result of sin in a person's life. So, you know, first Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God and repentance and demonstrating his authority over the spiritual realm on display in front of a city in great need of deliverance, right? Everything that started out that morning in the synagogue played out throughout the rest of the day. Now, it says that Jesus healed many sick and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak. Now, in not allowing them to speak, he actually accomplished a few things. First of all, by commanding their their silence, he demonstrated his authority over them. He was the ultimate authority over all. He is the ultimate authority over all that exists, and in that, he has control of oppositions as well as as the allies. Right. Second, he wanted people to believe in him because of what he said and did not by what demons or others said about him. And third, Jesus' identity would be revealed on his own time, not on Satan's. Satan wanted people to follow Jesus to get stuff out of him, and not because he was the son of God. You know, Satan's tactic is always to deny and discredit the word of God. If he could use his minions to do just that in a place where news was traveling fast, he would have done so with resounding success. But we have to remember that Satan is still, under, uh, still just part of the creation and is not the creator. He is under the authority of God and is unable to act outside of it. You know, it's in silencing the demons Jesus was able to keep his ministry authentic and in the sight and minds of people in need, not demons trying to influence decisions. Now, in the morning, it says in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen uh, a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him uh, searched for him. When uh, they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, casting out demons. So ministry must be driven by prayer. After a long night of casting out hundreds of demons and healing hundreds of sick people, Jesus gets up early the next day and goes out to pray. You know, we're given in Scripture specific stories uh, of when Jesus healed uh, specific individuals. But the fact of the matter is that in a place that had rampant possessions and illness, Jesus was always performing miracles. Now, it's important for us to look at Jesus' example for our lives. No matter what type of day he had, no matter the time he put in or the work that he had accomplished, he started the day in earnest prayer, in solitude. You know, we often get caught up in our routines and forget to pray. And if we do pray, we throw a quick prayer up on the way to the coffee pot or something because we think it's something that we have to do and not something that we need to do. You know, we really do need to take time to recharge the battery. And we do that by pouring our hearts out to the Lord. You know, sometimes we need to unplug to plug in. You know, we were talking the other day at work, my, my brother and myself and another co-workers, we were watching an advertisement for a smart mug. still unclear on what a smart mug is. I guess you set a temperature and it keeps your coffee warm or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, my brother made the statement. He said, everything in my life is centered around a USB plug. And I thought about that, you know, I was like, you know, that's so true for our lives today. You know, we're constantly surrounded by noise, and we often forget what it's like to sit in stillness. You know, I, I like to go hunting and, and, and out on our hunts this year, you know, just sitting outside in the morning, waiting on deer to come, waiting for the sun to come up, and you're just sitting there, and it's just quiet. I mean, not even the bugs were, were buzzing that time. You know, it was just quiet. You forget what that's like, you know. But in that time, you know, it, it's silent reflection. It's prayer. It's taking it to the Lord and saying, you know what? Be still and know that, knowing that I'm God. It puts different perspective on those things, right? We have to take time to withdraw. We have to time to get, uh, take time to get away from things and just pray and, 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 you know, lay ourselves out, pour out our hearts to the Lord. You know, sometimes we need to find a place and just sit as Jesus at, sit at Jesus' feet and pray and seek his face for direction. You know, when Simon found him there, I don't think he truly understood what was going on. And I think the world doesn't really understand us when we stop and pray and seek direction. But nonetheless, it is necessary for us to go into our prayer closets privately and pray often. You know, from there we see Jesus get up and tell his disciples that we must go into the next towns and preach. Jesus was sent to both preach and, teach, uh, uh, preach, and preach the good news and lay down his life that we may believe the good news. You know, after taking time to speak to the Father, the Son was ready to go. Verse 39 tells us that he went throughout all Galilee, casting out demons. You know, the Romans had divided Israel into three regions, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Galilee was the northernmost area, about 60 miles long and 30 miles wide. It was the ideal place because around there, there were about 250 small towns in that region. And synagogues were all over the place for him to go to and teach people in. You know, Jesus combined teaching with practice. Miracles are always done in conjunction with the message. Jesus would first teach, and then he would heal. Now, we all pray for miracles sometimes to happen in our lives because we have seen and we do believe that they are possible. Now, in the Bible, we see many examples of Jesus performing miracles in order to bring about the belief of somebody. Now, uh, or, uh, or, or, or deal with somebody's doubt or unbelief. Now, the old phrase, seeing is believing, is applied here. You know, by healing the sick and casting out demons, Jesus drew attention to his message and affirmed it, affirmed it with it, with the actions that he that he did, right? He kept his ministry small and in small towns because he was able to connect on a personal level with people. In a setting where there were fewer people, he was able to look into their hearts and really minister to them. Now, it's interesting also that he did most of his work in the synagogues, the religious setting of the day. Now, it makes you wonder what kind of work he would have to do in some of our liberal churches here today, right? Or And even some of our more conservative churches. I do believe that there are unsafe people that go to church just to go to church, to say they went to church. You know, what What would Jesus do if he sat down and really looked into our hearts? You know, what kind of work would he have to do? What kind of demons would he have to cast out on, on a Sunday morning for us? You know, it, it really makes you think, it really puts things in perspective. If all these guys were attending the synagogue, you know, you had these 10 families. And even if a town was just 10 families, but you still had a synagogue in that town, and people were still possessed, and people were still having to go through this, you know, what would it be like in a church of like 400 people today? Or a a 1,000 people? Or even 20 people? You know, I'm sure Jesus would have something to cast out or something to deal with. Because men are fallen, and men's hearts are fallen, and men are vain. And men look for ways to be something that they're not, right? But Jesus knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows the intents of our hearts. He knows where we're at at all times. In verse 40, it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourselves to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So, ministry goes where nobody else is willing to go. Now, in this healing, we have a very deep cycle, psycho- we have some very deep psychological implications going on here. Now, leprosy is a disease that is basically incurable. You know, there are many types of skin diseases that were bundled in and considered leprosy as well. Um, it could also be fatal for a person. You know, you you start losing pieces of skin. Your nose falls off. Your fingers fall off. Your your toes fall off. It's a very horrible disease. Now, it could also uh, uh, be spread pretty quickly. And so we do have a prescription for um, leprosy in the Old Testament. And that was to uh, quarantine oneself from the rest of everybody else um, to prevent it from spreading. Now, it was kind of like living back in 2019, back in that day, because people were scared to go near a leper. Even their families would not go near them. You know, they would leave them food and supplies outside their homes and speak to them from a distance. A leper could go years without anybody going to uh, going up to them and actually touching them because the disease would spread pretty quickly. Now, living in the days of COVID, I think we've all learned or should have learned how easily it is for people to turn on each other for fear of getting sick. You know, for the most part, people spent the last two years around here uh, in locked-in homes, covering their faces and largely avoiding others. You know, we now point fingers at each other over vaccination statuses and treat each other like monsters. You know, people are more concerned with categorizing others than they are about caring for others. But here's the truth. Jesus is the God of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the God of the sick and the God of the healthy. And, And... You know, ain't none of us going to uh, to be safe from anything without him at the center of our lives. You know, speaking from a personal experience, I think I've got a case of coronavirus right now. And, you know, this is the best day that I've, the best that I've felt in a few days. And so this is why I'm recording today and putting this out. But, you know, I've been stuck at home for three days and, and it's rough. You know, I miss my family. I usually have a family gathering once a week with those guys. I miss going to the gym. I miss going to the store. I miss going and doing all the different things I like to do. But, you know, in in order to not spread a sickness that could, you know, for the most part, not going to kill most people. But if it gets to that one right person, you know, I I don't want that on my hands. And so I've stayed home. And and, and it's hard. So I can only imagine how this leper was feeling when he went up to Jesus. You know, the simple fact that the leper approached Jesus showed his humility in asking for help as well as a holy boldness, understanding that God could reject prayer, but asking always. Uh, you know, he asked anyways, you know. And we should be humble in our our approach to the throne also. You know, we know that our prayers may be rejected. We, we know that some of the things we ask for are probably outside of the will of God. But, you know, we should ask anyways. We should ask boldly because we never know when it could be for us, you know. In verse 41, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, and it reached out and touched him. Now can you imagine what it had to be like for that man to be touched for the first time in who knows how long by the one guy that everyone was talking about nonetheless? You know, do you imagine what it felt like for him to be healed at that time, to have his nose grow back, to have his fingers come back, to have all the spots and the sores and everything on his skin healed up immediately? You know, I bet his heart was just heavy as could be, as he felt the Lord's touch, the Lord's touch upon him. Now, how specially would it be for, uh, you know, to be in His shoes, you know? And to be honest, all of us have felt that at some point, when we asked the Lord into our lives, when we asked Him to cleanse us, not on, not of leprosy but of sin, to make us new again at the foot of the cross. He then reaches down and He does so to us. You know, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, Then he sat, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these, th- these words are true and faithful. You know, rejuvenation from the Lord comes all at once. There are no steps or, or achievements that need to be met, just us on our knees honoring God. Verse 43 says, And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So, in sending the man to the priest, Jesus showed that he was going to honor the law of God, as well as offer confirmation of the miracle. You know he had per perfor- uh, that he had performed. Now, we have to understand that leprosy wasn't something that just went away. It was very hard to cure leprosy. And basically, it was a miraculous act for leprosy to be healed. So if we read Leviticus chapter 13 through 15, you have basically the prescriptions of of what's going to take place in leprosy. But in, in chapter 14, you have the offerings for what was going to happen to the person if they were cured from leprosy. And so when that man went to the priest and the priest looked at it, he's like, dude, I've been to 13. I know what's going on there, but what's going on here? I've never been to chapter 14. You know, it was another confirmation of Jesus' work that was going on. Another confirmation of the miraculous work that was happening. Um, You know, the priest would have to examine the person. They would spend another 10 days in quarantine. If nothing came back after 10 days, that person was reentered into society. Now, Jesus told them to keep quiet about what had happened, but instead he went out and told everybody. Now, this is really an example of what most so-called believers do. They act in disobedience to what the Lord is requiring of them. A person may ask for forgiveness, receive it, then go on in disobedience as if nothing happened. You know, what happens is that people get attracted to uh, to God for the wrong reasons. And when they see a person behave that way, instead of giving their lives to Jesus in obedience, they try to add Jesus to what they already have. You know, it does not work that way. With forgiveness comes a response, and a response requires action, and that action is often obedience to the word. You know, what happens to uh, then is what happened here. Verse 45 says, And however he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. You know, people came to Jesus to meet their desires and not their needs. Jesus is not a magical ATM. He is not the rabbit in the hat guy that gets you a new car. He's the God who died on the cross to save our souls, and we must recognize that and live lives that reflect that. If we don't, what happens is people come to the church, they hear a message they aren't prepared to hear, very few are saved, and the rest go and find the heretical teachers, teachers and churches that tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. You know, what happens then is you have a large group thinking they're saved and, and severely misled, going into the world and being part of it. Now, we know from reading the Bible that there are three periods in history when demonic activity was ramped up, in the time of Moses, in the time of Elijah, and in the time of Jesus' first appearance. We know that when Jesus comes again, the restraints are going to come off, and it's going to be a time like none other, as far as uh, demonic activity is concerned. You know, we have to be an example now and not later. We have to be the ministers we're called to be in, in this time now, and so that more people are saved and more people don't have to deal with that, um, we have to be humble and bold. We have to be be obedient and reverent to the Word. We, uh, you know, have just learned about the authority of Jesus in both the Word uh, over men and His authority over the demonic realm. You know, people were moved and in awe of what they saw. We must too be in awe, not because we saw it but because we are walking testimonies to his power in our lives and is transforming us into his likeness. We say, uh, you know, we saw him heal a woman who immediately served him. We too must be willing to labor uh, for our Lord in service to him. We saw Jesus heal hundreds and cast out demons. We must remember that uh, the workload may be heavy, but the fruits of the labor are God's glory. We saw Jesus pray and recharge. You know, a Christian without prayer is like a banjo without strings. And it's completely useless. And lastly, we saw Jesus touch even the most despised of the despised. There is no person God isn't willing to save if that person is willing to be humble and uh, 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 be humble enough to ask. With that, let's close. Father God, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you again, Father, for um, your word, Lord. Father, thank you for the example that you set for us. Father, we thank you that we can go back and look at these things. Verified truths, Lord, and know that you are God, that you are who you claim to be. Father, I pray a blessing on each and every person that hears this message this week, Lord, that you would just go before each and every one of us, Lord. Father, that you would grow us in our faith, grow us in our walks, and grow us in in our opportunities. Father, I thank you, and I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.